This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for joining us today. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. Are you guys ready? Tonight, spring forward. Tonight is the night. Everybody yes, going to set it's... their clocks? Is, has anyone ever had a bad experience where they forgot and things went awry? Well, it's always bad when you have kids because you got to get them up an hour earlier. <laughs> um, so for my oldest son, Tanner, who does jazz band and gets dropped oh, cool. off at 6.15 in the morning, Ooh. it's really going to be like... 515 his time. Uh, yeah. L- uh, luckily, kids are pretty resilient. They're pretty good with it. But yeah, there's... no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> Over time, at least. Well, it'll be interesting here in a couple of years since I know Washington State is moving towards perhaps eliminating daylight savings uh, in the future. So we would only spring forward. Yeah, we would never fall that. back. It'd be I, interesting. I've always thought Arizona was kind of a renegade for I know, that. but now California's on the bandwagon <laughs> and Washington, like the whole Pacific or the whole West Coast seems like they might join in. <laughs> yeah, well, it's nice having lots of daylight. So if we can get that figured out, uh, yeah. it'd be better for everybody. Absolutely, absolutely. So spring forward and remember to set your clocks. In the meantime, what's going on in the headlines this week? Well, you know, in the past, we've talked about all these creative ways that uh, the big food giants are now trying to uh, show their bona fides for reusing food waste and then uh, partnering with local producers to come up with interesting ways to market. So uh, now for you adult uh, Saturday morning sugary fruit cereal lovers, we have Saturday morning IPA featuring Lucky Charms. This comes from a Virginia-based company, uh, Smart Mouth Brewing. They have a new IPA that evokes all the feelings of Saturday morning, if you were in a fraternity, I think. Um, appropriately titled Saturday morning, the new release is an ode to the early weekend hours spent in front of the TV with your yes. PJs on, so playing many. cartoons, maybe video games, whatever. And uh, it's brewed with Lucky Charms-inspired Marshmallows, just the marshmallows and not the uh, the fruit. Uh, comes in 16 ounce cans. It's a 6.6 percent ABV, and the pattern has the same pattern uh, rainbow uh, that you would expect to see on the uh, breakfast cereal. Um, <laughs> they started marketing this in Insta- on Instagram in February and uh, just kind of blew up, and it's made its way around the interwebs and. Uh, hundreds of thousands of views and shares. So if anybody gets their hands on this Saturday morning IPA, um, you know, save us a can. Yes, please. I actually have a ton of fond memories from Saturday morning cartoons and getting up at the crack of dawn to go down there and sneak down there. And I would always have to compete with my siblings, compete with my brother uh, for viewership (laughs) control of them. But uh, yes, Saturday morning cartoons and cereal, you really can't beat that. So it's interesting that they're uh, sort of taking that nostalgia take over to it. I bet a lot of people uh, are at least willing to try it. That's right. That's right. Next up, this comes from Forbes. And do you remember the conversation we had just after the Super Bowl, and we were commenting on Bud Light's ads attacking Miller and Coors Light for using corn syrup. Remember that whole discussion? Yes. It's still going on. Okay. I'm still hearing the commercials every once in a while. It's Not, still going yeah. on. Well, Will Burns, who's a reporter for Forbes at Forbes.com, put out a great article, and it's, it's entitled, Bud Light Pulled a Market Share Fast One, But It May Have Backfired. 
And I remember talking about this on the show. We should go back to the the old tape deck and uh, see uh, what we talked about. But Bud Light was essentially attempting to say that because Coors might use corn syrup, that it's bad. And what they were trying to do, according to Will Burns, is they were trying to confuse the consumer to have them think they were using high fructose corn syrup, not regular corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup is syrup is just a you know a very highly sugary um, entity or a additive that has very little nutritional value. Whereas corn syrup, which is a different thing altogether, actually uh, assists in some of the brewing processes. We talked about that as well, um, and uh, is not to be confused with high fructose corn syrup. But most of the public won't know the difference. So that's what his article goes on and talks about and basically tells uh, Bud Light that they should correct the message that they were trying to send and not uh, trying to uh, confuse consumers. This reminds me of an old Jack in the Box ad. If you remember, Burger King was featuring their uh, top choice Angus burgers. Okay, And an Angus is a kind of uh, cattle and it's highly prized and very expensive. One of the TV ads had Jack in the Box showing uh, people where parts of cows came from, and he kept pointing to the rear end of the cow saying, Angus, Angus. And it backfired because they were trying to say that Burger King was selling rump roast of regular cows as opposed to using real Angus beef. So these big guys have to be very careful about how they... uh, try to confuse the consumers. It's interesting to me that this is still airing so much because it is so controversial. Mm-hmm. I heard ads this weekend and it's Bud Light talking about uh, check out the nutritional information mm-hmm. on our boxes and our cans and it's all out there and everybody else is hiding it from you. But lastly, our friends at BrewDog, which is one of the giants in the craft brewing industry, they launched a maiden uh, voyage of a craft beer airline. Uh, this uh, flew into Ohio, and they did this on the heels of opening their beer-focused hotel last year. And they're all about trying to improve the experience and give people different experiences. Um, they've got thousands of investors. They raise money online all around the world, and they're constantly elevating the consumer offerings. Well, they did this maiden flight, and according to uh, the drinks business, they almost ran out of beer and the toilets became full just as they were getting ready to descend and land. So the maiden oh. voyage, yeah. Well, think about it. If you're drinking lots of beer, you got to do something. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's just the way the body works. So <laughs> maybe better planning ahead of time. Yeah, I don't know how you fix those issues. No, <laughs> yeah. but at least yeah. these were, I mean, I guess it's not, there's no good side of this, but at least these were investors and not actually customers, yeah. because that could have also yeah. been a, a, a much bigger horror story. Sounds like uh, they were applied with enough alcohol to stay in, high, quote, quote, high spirits. So that's good. <laughs> no pun intended. That's right. And the beer they released was called Flight Club. It was a four and a half percent IPA brewed with additional citra hops to, according to them, combat the flavor dulling effects of cabin pressure that can occur on Hmm. customers' Hmm. palates. I've heard about that before. They say that's why lots of people crave tomato juice on flights. So it's interesting that the beer tried to target that. Mostly, I think that's people hungover coming back from Las Vegas. (laughs) That's also possible. 
Coming up next, the creative mind behind Scrappy's Bitters, Miles Thomas, joins us. We mentioned them a couple weeks ago because they were featured in a cocktail being served to the celebrities at the Oscars Governor's Ball. It's a local company, and they are also getting in on the trend we've been talking so much about, canned cocktails, with a venture called Half Seas. We'll discuss that next on Cats Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, our friend Miles Thomas in studio discussing bitters. We got to hear the story behind his company, Scrappies, which he started 10 years ago. So impressive. It's grown from a small one-man operation to now Scrappies being international. That's pretty impressive. 10 years now. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> I started actually just up the street uh, at Serafina. Oh, yeah. And I bartended there for like three plus years. Uh, and when I was there, it was kind of like my first real bar bar job uh, or like I should say fancy bar job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like at that time, like cocktail scene in Seattle was just developing. Uh, so we were using fresh juice and there was only like two or three other places doing fresh juice. It was like Zigzag and El Bistro. Actually, I'm not sure if El Bistro was, but there was just a couple of places. And then, uh, you know, that was sort of like kind of towards the end of the flavored vodka craze where everything yeah. was like a flavored martini. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so kind of like our take on that, on the flavored martini thing was like we were doing all these infusions. So it was like... You know, making our own flavor vodka and stuff. And I sort of, uh, well, I had uh, kind of like a mentor there, uh, Chris, who actually still works, uh, I think, at Chiquetti, uh, Serafina as well. Um, But he was super interested in all this stuff and really kind of got me going on a lot of that stuff. And I started to kind of like dig in and, and read as much stuff as I could about other liqueurs and vermouths and stuff and, and basically trying to make them myself behind the bar. And I was somewhat successful on a few things and then started to like, you know, kind of gain some information about what, how this stuff works. And so initially I was like, I only had, there was only a few kinds of bitters available. Mm-hmm. There was the fee, which honestly I'm not, I don't, I don't like to say too much bad stuff, but they're the only one I don't really consider bitters because they're not actually a maceration of herbs. They're just kind of glycerin and artificial flavors, but you know, they, they do their thing, they have their place. So anyway, there was fees and there was the only one that had like kind of variety of flavors, but it was kind of like a bum out because they're all sort of really artificial. Yeah. And then there was Angostura and there was Peychaud and I think Regan's was out at that point. Uh, it was definitely out at that point. Um, and then Bitter Truth was like kind of sort of coming up right when I was like, I had been sort of tinkering with bitters for a little bit before that, uh, but they were obviously from Germany, uh, but they were one of the first guys too. And then there was uh, Bitterman's and they were sort of like kind of underground. They were pretty sort of known in New York, but they weren't really releasing any product. But anyway, before that I had been working on uh, all those other things. And then uh, somebody gave me a recipe for orange bitters. It was Ooh. for like the Regan's orange bitters. Yeah. And who knows if it was real, but it was like something off the internet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll try it out. So I like made it sort of for what it was on the recipe and just to see how that evolved. And then was like, you know, it's okay. I think I could do it better. Right. So I sort of tried to make it better and uh you know the first several attempts were definitely not really great <laughs> so i sort of like kind of i don't know uh, i went a little crazy and i decided that i was really interested in this and 
uh, I wanted to kind of figure out how to make, you know, better bitters. And I dove in super deep uh, and just kind of like looked for as much information as I could about the topic, but really there was not anything out there at that time. There was some super ancient bar manuals that mm-hmm. um, had, they like touched on some of that information, but didn't really, it was like kind of cryptic, you know, it's yeah. sort of a different language almost. Uh, so there's really nothing. So I kind of had to d- just like figure it out on my own. Um, and I started to read like herbal uh, medicine manuals and then books about making liqueurs and just other like uh, things that sort of relate. Uh, and I sort of just trial and errored it. And uh, eventually I figured out some good stuff. You know, it took a while, but uh worked out. And then uh, I had a bunch of friends that were our, were bartenders as well. And now there was actually this like bitters exchange that we did uh, at one point. That's so cool. And it was like all the pretty much all the bartenders that I respected. I'm sure there were other great bartenders in the city at the time, but um they somehow uh somebody decided to do it and it was at Liberty Bar. No, it was at 22 Doors, which is now something different. Anyway, a bunch of us got together and we were like, you had to make enough bitters to give bitters out to everybody that that came. So it was basically like an exchange. Yeah. So I made lavender bitters and everybody kind of had their own take on their own stuff. And it was really interesting because I was like, you know, all these guys are awesome bartenders, but nobody has a clue how to make bitters. So (laughs) I, I was like, you know, I should probably turn this into a business. And uh, actually I was, I didn't really have any money or anything like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I got my business license online. (laughs) And even though it was highly illegal, my very first batch was made in my apartment. (laughs) That's awesome. And it was like one case of each flavor. And I think it was only like three flavors at the time. And I literally just like a friend of mine, I didn't, I don't even think I had a car then. A friend of mine loaded up, uh, loaded me up in their car and we drove around to like, places where I knew all the bar managers and I was like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. If you want to support me, yeah. <laughs> you can buy some now out of my car. Don't <laughs> Literally, worry yeah. about it. And it was like, that was just kind of the beginning. And then I just started getting phone calls and people were like, I like this. Can I get more? And just started getting ordered. And I just, I, I worked still as a bartender for, you know, the first four, four and a half years of the business and eventually, you know, I, it was doing well enough that I needed to spend all my time on it. But that was sort of like the beginning, very humble beginnings. At one point, I was also uh, delivering bitters on my bicycle, <laughs> like so on a cool. sunny day. So, yeah. But now we're global. So we're everywhere. Uh, In 10 years, man. That's not even that long. I guess not. I mean, I don't know. I feel good about it, especially with having uh, very little help. But I did have actually have some... Really wonderful people in the city helped me out in in, in the industry as well. Um, notably, uh, Patrick Gabberkeaton, mm-hmm. him and uh, Ethan Stoll used to be partners, yeah. and they had uh, in the Tavolot on Second Avenue. There's a whole prep kitchen downstairs, and they do all their pasta there now. And uh, before that, it was like a big pasta making place, and you know Ethan was selling pasta everywhere. Uh, it was kind of just like an extra prep kitchen. And so they were like, hey, if you need a space, you can use our prep kitchen and you can have this closet down here that was just basically like a broom closet. It was super tiny. And they let me have it like rent free, basically. That's so neat. So I'd go there and work on stuff. And that was kind of how I started because you know, I, I couldn't didn't have the money to rent a space or anything. And so I was there for a whole year and that was really like kind of 
the uh, sort of jumpstart I needed to make it work. Well, it's probably a testament to the person you are as well. I, I find that well, it's pretty much no small business that just gets off the ground by itself. It usually takes a little bit, takes a village, so to speak. I agree. Some yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Was it just a need that you saw in the market that, A, at the time was either the bitters was artificial, like you said, or the flavor profile wasn't there? What what was it that you saw that just didn't exist that you wanted to make? I think it was a little bit of both. It was, um, you know, I was kind of bummed out on the on what was available because, you know, Angostura is not bad bitters, but it has tons of caramel color and red dye. Um, and, you know, the formulas changed over the time, over time and, you know, to be a more mass uh, produced item. Uh, and then, you know, Peixot's all right, too. It's just kind of weak and the it's kind of just for the red dye, in my opinion. And Regan's is like, it's not bad, but, you know, it's kind of weak as well. And it's sort of like dusty almost. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying all these bad things. I should no. stop. Uh, and then, yeah, it was just fees. So I was kind of bummed out because, you know, if you were making like a high, like a top shelf old fashioned and you're using fancy whiskey, like why wouldn't you have super fancy bitters to put in it as well and like super high quality stuff? So, yeah, I was really kind of disappointed on a the sort of what was available and the quality of what was available as well. And so I sort of saw it as this thing of like, well, I can make this better. You know, how can I make the best version of this? So. That was really kind of my uh, pursuit of perfection on that thing where I'm just like, this could be so much better. And I feel like now the product that I put out, I mean, actually the first like two and a half, three years sort of evolved, you know, as I learned more about what I was doing. um, If I could figure out if I figured out ways to make it better, I definitely wanted to implement that because for me, it was about having the best product. I wasn't as concerned with things, but now I'm super happy with it and it's very consistent. But uh, I think now it, it's really a, a perfect representation of how good bitters can be. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, more from our friend Miles. We hear more about the craft bitter scene, including different flavors of bitters that you can incorporate into your cocktails. And also, it's not just for drinking, different uses for bitters as well. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for being here with us. Right now, Miles Thomas in studio. He even brought me pastries, which is so nice. He is the creative mind behind Scrappy's Bitters, founded in 2008. So 10 years now, you're about to celebrate your 10-year anniversary. Today, we want to get you in studio, not just for the pastries, but also to ask you the story about how Scrappy's got started. Plus, there's no one better to ask about the craft movement surrounding bitters. How has bitters really taken off, especially locally? Yeah, I guess the craft revolution of bitters is pretty different, obviously, than the like original kind of revolution of bitters. Uh, and I, I think the Northwest has got quite a bit of bitters for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of speculation, but a lot of people think that, at least the, the theory that I heard that I, I think sounds the most right is we sort of have a bitter palate because we drink so much coffee here. And so it's like sort of, that sort of drives it. I'm not sure if that's true, but it seems to make sense. I, I like it. Uh, yeah, seems rational. Sure. <laughs> uh, I think too, like the evolution of drinking in general of like the cocktail culture when I go to new markets, generally a newer market has like some, usually a sweeter palate. 
And as they sort of evolve, the palate dries out. So at least when I see where the cocktail culture is really like uh, well-developed, uh, usually their palates are a little drier. Their drinks are a little less sweet. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's... Uh, I don't, I don't. I can't tell you why, but maybe just, a couple different reasons. What does that mean for a palate to dry out? Just like you, maybe you want more booze forward, or you want your drink to be more balanced and less sweet. For people who don't know, or who might be interested in your story of how you just started making them on your own, what is what goes into the process of making bitters? It's somewhat of a simple process. Uh, I mean, so the gist of it is uh, you're extracting um, herbs fruits, spices, um, from, you know, uh, into alcohol. So, or, or into anything, you just need an extraction. So, uh, alcohol is a really good solvent and it's an edible one. Uh, so usually that's the one to use. And traditionally that's what's been used in the past as well. So it's kind of like part of the whole ethos of what bitters is. Um, but yeah, you're just trying to make a concentration of flavor. So initially it was meant to be a medicine, but we're not necessarily concerned about that so much anymore. However, anything that's bitter that touches your palate sort of activates uh, you know, the digestion system. And it's basically your body's natural response to break down poisons. So normally when you taste something bitter, your body would in- instinctually think it's poison and it would start to activate and kind of try to break it down. And so in that sense, it, it really does activate your digestion system. Um, so it's medicinal regardless, as long as it has some bitterness to it. So, but bitterness is also really important. So you're, you're extracting some flavor, but the important piece is you also have to have a bitterness, uh, and the bitter, bittering ingredients can vary greatly, but, uh, the bitterness is, uh, sort of the backbone of the whole thing. And it really is kind of what smooths out the, um, the sharpness of alcohol and it's kind of the binder of flavors. It really kind of brings the top and bottom notes together and sort of creates its own flavor. Uh, so we do like some seminars usually in new markets and I am kind of feel bad and a little guilty that I haven't done it in Seattle in a very long time. But we do these demonstrations where we sort of, we'll, we'll make a bunch of cocktails for people and we'll give them basically a naked version without bitters yeah. and then another version with bitters and another version with two types of bitters and so you can kind of see the evolution of how the drink works and also how what the bitters do to the drink and so I think uh for a lot of people that use bitters um it's important to kind of do these demonstrations just for yourself like a super easy one to do is just take a shot of whiskey uh try it without and then add a couple dashes of bitter to your shot of whiskey and just see what happens you know it's like um I feel like a lot of the time people get caught up in uh, just making the drink and they don't know, they don't understand how the components change it. And so just doing like some basic stuff, I think, is uh, real eye opening and kind of gives you a better understanding of what's going on there. Of everything that's going into your drink. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the best uses for? There's a lot of great uses. I actually drink a lot of bitters and soda. <laughs> We've talked about that before because Maura, who she's unfortunately not here today, but she was bartender for a long time, and she said lots of people used to request that. Yeah, club soda. And yeah, bitters. it's kind of a nice like reset too. Like sometimes uh, in between drinks, I'll have a big bitters and soda, and it's just like a way to drink some more water and kind of slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I drink a lot less nowadays, so 
and you know it's still got some flavor and the bubbles are sort of exciting so yeah. <laughs> it's good for that but yeah it's great in cocktails obviously uh people have been using it in coffee a lot lately really? and yeah we have uh, a pretty cool instagram right now uh and it's got a bunch of uh, we try to like uh, engage the community a lot in our Instagram account, so we'll feature a lot of other people's content and give them credit and links to them and everything. But we have some really cool um, baristas and baristos, or I'm not sure of the terms, <laughs> but uh, making really cool stuff. And actually, we just started um, selling to Starbucks, wow. <laughs> which is interesting because they, uh, you know, they have sort of changed their uh, their model a little bit with their roastery and reserve stores. Reserve, so yeah. they're definitely trying to pick up the pieces in the sense of create uh, much uh, stronger products in the uh, boutique category and quality category, and I think they're doing a really good job. And their uh, cold brew drinks really lend themselves to bitters. Um, and so they've been making a couple of things. Uh, they have one in uh, – well, they have – I was just actually in Shanghai, so uh, they just built a huge roastery in Shanghai. So if you've been to the one here in Seattle, the one in Shanghai is like two to three times larger. It's wow. enormous. And they have a, a malt on the menu. It's So it's like vanilla ice cream, malt powder, and uh, cold brew coffee and cho uh, Scrabby's chocolate bitters. Wow. And so we're doing a lot of chocolate bitters with Starbucks right now. So that's kind of been a new thing that's pretty fun. What is your Instagram account so people can follow you? <laughs> it's uh, Scrappy's Bitters. That's it. Okay, perfect. Because, yeah, it yeah. sounds like that right there is inspiration for people. Yeah, it's good. We have actually the highest followership of any bitters brand by far. We're like almost 70K, but... Uh, you know, we've done a lot of work to kind of engage the audience and and kind of build a community through that. So I think it's been really positive. Well, it's obviously working because we're talking about your 10th anniversary, which is really cool. So tell me about this. You're having a party, right? Yeah. Still uh, in the works? Still. Yeah, we haven't uh, finalized anything yet, but okay. it'll definitely be somewhere in Seattle proper. And, you know, I usually have some sort of circus elements come in and perform. And we just started another company. Uh, doing canned cocktails called Half Seas, and I'm working on uh, a new canned cocktail, which is basically it's it's kind of a cocktail. I don't know if everybody would consider it a cocktail, but it'll be a vermouth spritzer, basically. So vermouth, mineral water, and bitters, uh, and that's going to be a lower ABV, uh, kind of like a five six percent sort of the beer category. Um, and it'll be made of vermouth, so it'll be in the wine category. So you won't be restricted with a liquor license to carry it or buy it. Um, so that'll be really exciting. I'm really excited for that. The canned cocktails are already out. They're in Whole Foods and Total Wines right now, and hopefully soon to be all the other grocery stores. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure how everything's going to pan out. It's kind of a new thing. It's a new category. Um, but I think it, so far it's been received really well. So that'll be there at the party. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some other sponsors to the great thing about having a bitters company is that there's really almost no limit to who you can collaborate with because, uh, you know, there's so many great spirits out there and they're not making bitters, so they are happy to collab. So That's really cool. Where can people find out more information about Scrappies or pick up your products? Uh, yeah, Scrappies is available in most of the developed world. Yeah. Uh, you can get it all over the place. Uh, in Seattle specifically, Dilarente. Dilarente, they were one of our first stores. So they, they have it still, and there's maybe like three or four other shops in the market. Madison Market on Queen Anne has it. 
I think all the Whole Foods do. There's Sugar Pill on Capitol Hill. The 12th Avenue Liquor Store. I mean, it's everywhere in Seattle. Seattle's our home market, and uh, we do we do well here. But I think you can get it on Amazon. You can find more about Scrappy's Bitters on uh, scrappiesbitters.com or on our Instagram account, uh, just at Scrappy's Bitters, and Facebook as well. Facebook, we don't quite have the engagement, but it's still there. And what about the uh, the new business venture? Where can people find out about that? Because canned cocktails is a it's a taken off trend. It is, yeah. You can get that on. Uh, well, it's available in Whole Foods and Total Wine right now. Um, you can find out about more about it on uh, halfseas.com or uh, at halfseas at uh, on Instagram. And I believe we're on probably Twitter and uh, Facebook. I don't run any of the social media stuff, so that's okay. A little. I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, man. Well, Miles, the last question we usually ask people is if you were throwing a cocktail party, what would you what would be your drink of choice? What would you make? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a t- I mean, do I have to make it? Can somebody else make Someone it? Someone else can make it. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? It's your party. I don't know. I mean, as far as like a classic drink that people write, I actually I really like to drink Negronis and actually a Negroni with a little bit of grapefruit bitters is pretty cool uh, or uh, uh Let's see, a mezcal Negroni with chocolate bitters is really awesome, too. Um, I'm a big Negroni fan. Uh, I really like gin drinks. I like um, gin and eau de vie drinks with bitters. I don't know. I can't. I don't know if I have, like, a cocktail that I'm like, this is the one I want to drink I'm, like, making you pick between kids today. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, those all sound like good options, so... You're allowed to. It's your party. I think you can have as many as you want. Sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for, my for talking to us about bitters today. Yeah, That's my awesome. pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to the owner, the man behind Scrappy's Bitters, for taking time out of his busy schedule to hop in studio and chat and bring me carbs. Up next on Cast Club Radio, we chatted with Miles a little bit about the canned cocktail revolution. It could just be the next big thing. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. In just a few minutes, a new cocktail recipe for you. But first, Distiller Dane on the line right now. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Good. Awesome. Yeah. How's this week been for you? Uh, it's, it's been all right. I've uh, been getting through it. I'm getting ready for this weekend, which is going on, and uh, hopefully it's a good one. Absolutely. I'm kind of enjoying the sunshine thing that we've been having lately. Yeah, it's a little chilly out still, but uh, <laughs> I can't complain. The sun's still feeling good. Absolutely. Well, Latest top five for us. Can you kick us off with number one? All right. Number one on my list is the Wu-Tang Clan because they are touring for the 36th Chamber's 25th anniversary, and they have announced a date where they are coming to Seattle in June. Let's go. Do we know who all is going to be involved? Because it's kind of a rotating crew over the years. It's a super team at its core, so... I've been hearing rumors going both ways, and they haven't officially announced it, but um, I'm hoping the whole crew comes through for it. Amazing. I love it. I didn't know about that, so you made my day. I know. Me and Maura are, like, going to scramble for tickets after this. (laughs) All right. Where are they playing? They're still on sale, but they're probably going quick, so I'd get on it. Yeah. Where are they playing? Playing at the Wamu Theater in downtown Seattle. All right. What's the number two on the list? Number two is a newer cocktail bar that I uh, found in Tacoma, and it's actually located in the uh, downtown in the old federal courthouse, um, and it's called Enrama, and they're actually uh, serving up um, some nice little unique handmade pasta dishes, which are very delicious. 
but most notable for their cocktail bar is they always have sherry on tap, and they、uh-huh. kind of put their own little twist on every traditional classic cocktail. So the Boulevardier they serve up actually has like a chocolate milk wash bourbon with a espresso、oh. infused Campari. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. All of it sounds really unique. That's awesome, and it's something we don't often hear about a lot of options down south. That sounds amazing. Number three. Number three on my list, which is coming up in a little bit, so you got to kind of brace yourself, and that is St. <laughs> Patty's Day, which、oh, is one of the、yes. most notable holidays of the month. <laughs> It's kind of a good excuse for most people to get a little、uh, extra drinking in. I won't be partaking in、uh, green beer this year, but also besides、uh, building a homemade leprechaun trap at home. I will be indulging <laughs> in a nice Irish stew、uh, with a nice pint of Guinness or Smithicks, which is a tradition for me. There you go. I love the Guinness on St. Patrick's Day too.、Uh, can you explain a little further about the leprechaun trap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember、uh, when you're younger and you always had to make the little leprechaun traps at home to try to catch them? No. <laughs>、mm. <laughs> I never did that. All right, I guess I'm alone on this one. <laughs> But I like that you're still doing it too. I mean, you, you gotta commit. Well, I haven't caught one yet, so I keep trying every year. <laughs> All right, number four.、Uh, number four on my list is one of the funnest times of the month, besides St. Patty's Day, and that is the March Madness. Yes, there we go. But it's always an exciting time. I usually get involved with a few brackets, kind of like a work one, a family one, and a friend one. Um, and it's just really actually exciting. All, watching all the games are very entertaining, and especially when the upsets happen, which makes it、uh, very unpredictable at the same time. Absolutely, got a you had a one seed fall for the first time last year. You just never know、oh, yeah. what's going to happen. Most people's brackets were busted like the first week. first week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, number five. Number five. So besides participating in March Madness, I will also be participating in March Mildness. <laughs> um, and actually, in the last top five, I gave a shout out to Machine House Brewery, and they're actually involved with putting this on.、Um, so they actually take their dark mild beer and they put it on tap of about eight to ten locations, and you get a punch card. If you go to those locations and taste it, they'll give you a punch, and you can win stuff like pint glasses and T-shirts. But the fun part about it and the tournament bracket style of it is. Uh, the restaurant that gets the most servings actually gets to do a collaboration with that brewery. That's really cool. Where are the locations going to be for where people can go participate, Dane? Most of them are in the greater Seattle area.、Um, there's one a little north of that, and、um, one at the Red Hot in Tacoma. But if you head to their website, there's a huge spiel about it. You can't miss it. And it lists all the eight to ten locations on the list. Nice. All right, cool. Well, another amazing top five, Dane. We thank you. I know you have to take time out of your busy day, so thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Back to work. <laughs> well, as always, before we get out of here, we love to leave you with a great new cocktail recipe that you can make yourself at home. Especially as we're getting into the warmer weather, you might start entertaining and having parties and wanting something to make at home. Justin, what is this week's cocktail recipe? This week we are featuring the Pacific Rose, and it's pretty easy to make. Get a shaker, and you get either bourbon or blended whiskey.、Uh, we use our Elk Rider bourbon or our Elk Rider blended whiskey. You need two ounces of the whiskey, a half ounce of grenadine syrup, and a half ounce of fresh squeezed lime juice. Put them in a shaker with ice, shake them up, and then put them in a tumbler with fresh ice, garnish with a cherry, and it's got a beautiful. Color and a great flavor.、Oh, like a little cherry limeade. I like、That、it. Sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> well, as always, you can check out this cocktail recipe. It's available online at heritagedistilling.com, where you can check out past recipes as well and download episodes of Cast Club Radio. 
That's right. You can also find us on Facebook at Cast Club Radio. You can go to heritagedistilling.com. Find the link for Cast Club Radio. You can also go online and shop and get spirits and merchandise and tons of cocktail ideas. You can also find us on Instagram. And uh, we're getting some great emails and comments, and uh, we love the emails and comments. So keep sending them in, post them on social media, or email us at castclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. And, of course, don't forget to write us on iTunes. Well, we'll see you back here next week. Thanks again for joining us. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.